You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, we don't have a reaction recorded in this gospel, so you don't necessarily need to look for that. Um, the last thing before I let you loose is I just want to caution us, if you are familiar with this parable, to really try to read it and observe it with just really fresh eyes. So if this is the first time you've read this parable, you might be actually at an advantage than those of us who have read it a ton of times because we already have an idea of what exactly it is and what to look for and all that kind of stuff, which is good. But the danger in familiarity where we kind of become a little bit numb. So just read it again, look for these things, and obviously any other details that stand out to you, go ahead and mark down. Especially if you notice things being repeated. Ideas, words, or phrases, those are going to be very significant. So anytime you notice repetitions, just kind of also make a note of that, although it's not one of the questions. Okay, so does that make sense, what I'm asking you to do? Yes. That's how, that's how it goes, though. You set up all this stuff, all these chords, and it's one switch. Yeah. So the points of reference, meaning there's going to be, in the parable of the prodigal son, there's characters, and you want to, know, you want to try to identify who are the characters that are being represented based off of Jesus' audience. And I kind of mentioned that um, briefly last week. In the parable, in Luke chapter 8, there's a parable of, uh, it's called the four soils or the sower. Jesus talks about how there was a sower who went to sow in his field and he sows seeds. Then Jesus, after that, tells us what all those things means. He says, the seed is the word of God. And then the four soils each represent a particular person who hears. So that's what I mean by points of reference. This one's a little bit tricky. So this is the first time we're doing it. Um, so I promise it'll make more sense once we kind of talk about it a little bit more. Okay, so take a few minutes, try to find those answers, um, and then we'll come back, we'll talk about it, and then we'll move on to kind of interpreting what all of this means. And at any time, if you have a question, just raise your hand. I can come over and kind of help you. You can ask your table mate. Maybe they know. Kind of ignore what I'm about to say. This has to do with the live stream because Zach just ran back and turned it back on. So if you're watching this either now or later, all we're doing is going through uh, chapter 15, looking at the parable of the uh, prodigal son and trying to observe 
the details in the text that answer these questions.
more minutes. A few more minutes. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Take a few more minutes. If you guys are done, uh, feel free to just like, if the person next to you is done, just turn to the person next to you and just share just a little bit about what you guys observed and then that will give some of the people who are still looking a few more minutes. So just kind of share with them, who did you notice Jesus' audience was? Did you notice the context, occasion, etc.? And I'll give you like two minutes.
All right, we're going to come back together. I know everyone's discussing stuff, which is great, but I want to make sure that we're not going too far ahead into the interpretation stage. Um, so let's come back together, and we're just going to walk through the answers to these questions really quickly before we move on, just to make sure we're all kind of um, on the same page. And sometimes you notice things that other people didn't notice, and sometimes people notice the things that you didn't notice, and that's okay. Um, the more you do this, the better you get. The, the more practice you uh, do, the more familiar you are with kind of what to look for and what's significant and things like that. So first question we asked was, who is Jesus's audience? Who would like to share? And if you can, anytime you answer a question, if you could just say like, the verse just so that everybody can immediately kind of follow along if you don't that's okay but it's just kind of helpful so who did you notice was jesus's audience okay tax collectors and sinners in verse one okay and scribes and pharisees in verse two anybody else that you noticed in chapter 15 I think that's it. One thing I do want to point out is that in chapter 16, verse 1, it's kind of interesting. It says, he also said to the disciples, and then he tells another parable. So in, in Luke's gospel, he makes it seem like it's more than likely that the disciples were also there. So we probably won't talk much about the disciples tonight, but just even sometimes you need to read the, a little bit afterwards, and I didn't put that in the text. So I'm just pointing that out to you, that the disciples most likely were also listening in and could be a part of the audience. Um, now, before we move on to the next question, I want to just address who these people are. Um, because when it, says, when it says tax collectors, we might think, oh, this is the guy that works at H&R Block or something like that. Like, we're not talking about the tax man. Like, my dad is also an accountant. We're not talking about my dad's tax business or things like that. So. We need to talk about about like, a little bit and understand who these people are because it's going to be really significant to the point of the parable and what it's actually communicating. And so um, just kind of briefly, I have a, did I put this on there? I don't know if I did. I can't remember. Um, so the first, I did not. Okay, I was supposed to. Anyways, the first group that we come across are these people called tax collectors. And so what a tax collector was, was it was an individual who would bid to collect taxes for the Roman government. This would be if you were in uh, Galilee, which is probably where uh, Jesus is telling this parable or where Jesus tells most of his parables. Um, let's just call it in Israel. These people would be Jewish people and they would bid on this opportunity to then collect taxes on behalf of the Roman government. Then they would also add a little surcharge that would be their cut of it. They would keep for themselves as profit. Now, tax collectors uh, were very disliked because they were a constant reminder for the Jewish nation that they were not their own independent nation, but they were, a, they were in subjugation to Rome. And that they were paying for uh, the Roman Empire's expansions and all of their big, massive building projects. Uh, so. Jewish tax collectors, they would overtax their fellow countrymen, and so they were especially despised by Jewish people. Jews viewed this 
practice as betrayal and equal to treason against God. And there's some uh, rabbinic sources that constantly align Jewish tax collectors with robbers. So they viewed these people as robbers, as uh, traitors of their own country, tax collectors. So just that information alone kind of brings to life, I think, the parable a little bit. We're talking about people that are despised by their fellow countrymen. Uh, these aren't necessarily people that you would view very highly of either. The next group that we come across is, um, well, the sinners, right? There's this general term, sinners. Um, and I kind of like, I have a little note on, sorry, this last slide. I looked in the Message Bible, which is just a paraphrase uh, by, and this is what the paraphrase says. And it says, by this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation. So that's what their interpretation of sinners were. So um, it's kind of a generic term, but these are people, men and women of questionable reputation. So um, these are not people that you would find in the church. Okay, so that's kind of who the, the sinners are. So tax collectors and sinners, um, happy face or sad face? <laughs> yeah, major sad face. Uh, not very well liked during that time. And then we come to uh, this group called the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were members of one of the most important and influential religious and political parties in Judaism. So these are our fellow Jewish people and they were, they were prominent fixtures in the synagogues. So the synagogues were, during that time period, a place uh, where Jewish people could go um, and learn about the things of God. They would do um, political things there. They would settle uh, civil cases there. And they were, the, the easiest way to explain a Pharisee is a very religious person, and they might be like a modern day, like a really zealous pastor or something like that. These people knew the Bible, they knew God's word really well, and they were really dedicated to um, strict interpretation, specifically of the law of Moses, which is the first five books in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So when you think of Pharisees, you just think of like really religious Bible people. And then the other group is called the scribes. And so scribes were experts of the law, but not really, but they would be more happy face in that context than the fairs, uh, tax collectors and sinners. Okay, so that's who the, that's the audience. So that's who Jesus is directing this parable to, okay? So then what is the context or the occasion? What did you guys notice? Why does Jesus tell this parable? It's in verse 2. Sharon? Who is grumbling? And, yes. They never grumbled? I'm sure there were. These particular ones are grumbling. Right, so this is not all Pharisees and all scribes gathered in one place. This is just a few of them. But these ones in particular are grumbling. And what's the reason why they're grumbling? Okay, so this is the context. You have the really religious people that are upset that Jesus is hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners, right? So they're looking at Jesus, who is a religious person, a religious teacher, a rabbi, 
and it just doesn't sit right with them. And so I love how it says grumbling, right? And so Jesus, of course, knows what's in their heart and knows what they're thinking. And it's just, they're just, they don't like it. So that's the context. Then Jesus will launch into these three parables. And all of those parables are directed at those two groups of people and is communicating something about that context, right? That occasion, yeah. Okay, so what about the points of reference? So specifically the parable of the prodigal son starting in verse 11, which is what we're going to be focusing on. Who were the main characters in the parable? Okay, so we have a father. And we have a younger son and an older son. So there's three main characters. Now, the points of reference is then saying, I wonder who those characters are supposed to represent. What does Jesus mean by the father, the younger son, and the older son? What did you guys think in light of the, the audience? Okay, so Jesus is the father. Okay, so the religious leaders, the Pharisees and scribes, are representing the older brother. And then the younger brother is representing the sinners and the tax collectors, yeah. So that part of observing parables is a little bit interpretive, but it's really important to understand, and I try to identify those as best as we can so then we can really understand. But yeah, that's really, that's really good. So the man or the father in the parable is Jesus. That's who it's representing. The younger son, the tax collectors, and the sinners, the older son, the Pharisees, and the scribes, really good. So what about this? What about the unexpected turn? And you could, you could have noticed maybe more than one, but there's really one main unexpected turn in light of the audience. What did you guys think? Okay, so exactly. So the unexpected turn is the fact that the father welcomes the son, the younger son home. And he doesn't just welcome him home as a hired servant, but he welcomes him home in a really uh, big way. Now for us, we might be like, I don't, yeah, okay, like, but in that culture, in that climate, in light of the story, for the people listening, that would be the unexpected turn. That would be something that they would not expect the father to have done. So they have an expectation of what it would look like for a father to give his inherit some of his inheritance to his younger son and then his younger son to squander it, they would never expect the father to do what he did in this parable. They would expect the father to maybe welcome the son home as a hired hand, but never to welcome him home in that way. So for the people listening, that's the unexpected turn. For us, we're like, well, I already expected that because I already knew the parable maybe. So one thing I did observe, I don't know if you guys noticed anything else in there. Did you notice maybe Anything else that might have been a little bit unexpected? Yeah, Sharon? It's definitely a rise in the tension in the story, for sure. Um, I like how you pointed out the famine. You guys remember um, if you came to the Ruth class? What does a famine mean? Do you know like the, the significance behind it? Do you remember? 
it was a sign that they weren't obeying the covenant. Now he's in a different land, but I think it's still significant that it's talking about a famine because it's just portraying this son is really, he's really far away. And there's a famine in the land, which is really bad. And also, Uncle Les, you pointed out earlier in our conversation about the swine and the pigs. And so what's interesting is that he ends up uh, with the pigs. And this story, of course, is the younger son is, is representing most likely somebody that's a Jewish person. And if you don't know, pigs were considered to be unclean. And so Jewish people were not supposed to associate themselves with a pig. Uh, we're not going to get into why that's the case. So it just is more details of the story of just how severe this, this actually was, right? So there's a famine, he's with the pigs, he can't even eat what the pigs are eating. It's a really bad situation. Yeah. Yeah, so there, there's a little bit um, interesting when the son decides to go back to the father. Yeah, so that's a little bit unexpected, maybe. Um, I also think it's a little bit interesting. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's really good, and that's kind of, I think the, I think the main unexpected turn that we'll focus on is the fact that the father rep welcomes the son home, but I like how some of you are picking up on some other elements, because when I was studying this earlier uh, this week and last week, I was kind of like, it's, it's almost like, it's also unexpected that the, maybe it's not unexpected, but it's interesting that the older son is so resentful when his younger brother comes back, and we're going to talk about that and all that kind of stuff, but I, Maybe I would be like that too, so maybe it's not that unexpected if I think about myself. But I'm like, oh, his, his younger brother has, was gone, who knows where he went and he's coming back. That, his, his reaction is a little bit interesting, let's just say, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Okay, really good. So the main unexpected turn is the fact that the father welcomes home the younger son, right? He welcomes him home. And then uh, the last question was, was there a reaction from the audience? And the answer in this particular instance is, there was not. So what we're going to do is we're now going to move on to step number six, which is to interpret. So we're going to take all that information, and that is just a little bit of information, but it's probably the most significant for actually understanding parables. And we're going to try to put some pieces together and just talk about what's actually happening here. So the first question that I want to ask is, what do you think the heart posture or attitude is that is being exposed in the audience. So again, the audience is tax collectors and sinners, Pharisees and scribes, and the Pharisees and scribes are grumbling that Jesus is welcoming these people. And then he launches into these three parables, ending with the parable of the prodigal son. So what do you think in the Pharisees and the scribes, what's the attitude that is being exposed? Okay, so being judgmental.
pride, bitterness. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, so a little holier than thou, like, like the younger son doesn't deserve to be welcomed back. Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. There's judgmentalism happening for sure in the older brother and the younger brother. Um, and again, we're talking about the Pharisees and the scribes representing the older brother, and they're grumbling and complaining, and then we see the older brother grumbling and complaining when this younger son is welcomed home. So you guys all kind of mentioned, I think, what's getting at the heart of this, is that they ultimately don't think that the tax collectors and sinners deserve the Father's welcome. They don't believe that they deserve to be welcomed by Jesus, right? So it's this thing, it's like, you don't deserve it. And why do they think that? They think they're better than everybody else? Because what does the younger, what does the older brother say? I've done everything right. And I've never gotten a party. And this younger son of yours, literally, like, does everything wrong and he gets a party yeah very legalistic so that's ultimately the attitude that jesus is addressing right grumbling and complaining and then he tells this parable that has to do with grumbling and complaining so that's ultimately like what jesus is addressing it's jesus is addressing the heart motivation the attitude of the religious people in light of jesus welcoming these sinners and tax collectors so this is what i mentioned this next question is what do you think the kingdom reality is that is being communicated? Because remember, I mentioned the parables have something to do with the kingdom of God. So Jesus here tells this parable, and in the parable, he's communicating something about the nature of God's kingdom that is going to fly in the face of a lot of uh, the current cultural expectations or the current cultural norms about this kingdom. And so, again, it has to do with what we just talked about, but what do you think Jesus is communicating about this kingdom? What does the kingdom of God, what does it look like? Remember I mentioned last week, we talk about kingdoms, we talk about who belongs in this kingdom. So what do you think Jesus is addressing here? What is the kingdom reality that Jesus is communicating? Yeah. Okay, so you're jumping to the parable of the wedding feast. Oh, I see, yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, so there's an element of the nature being one of servanthood, I think. Um, again, it, this is communicating something to the religious people that have an expectation of who belongs. And so the reality is that it's not just the religious people who belong, but ultimately the invitation is also extended to who? The tax collectors and the sinners. So for the, for the religious Jewish people, their expectation of God's kingdom was that the kingdom of God is, re is regulated, regulated? What word am I looking for? Something like that. To us, we're the people who follow God's law. We're the people who obey his commands. We're the people who have dedicated our entire lives to study his will so that we do everything he's asked us to do. So we deserve to be a part of this kingdom while you who are squandering everything, you're a tax collector, you're a robber, right? You're a thief. Sinners, whoever those people are, right? You don't deserve to be a part of this kingdom. You've done nothing to earn the Father's forgiveness, the Father's mercy, the Father's grace. So Jesus is saying, I recognize the heart attitude that you have, and you don't understand the kingdom that I've come to bring. That's not the kingdom value. The kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring says that everybody is actually invited to participate. That it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter where you are currently at. That if you come back to the Father, He's going to welcome you back. I like how you pointed out back to the other two parables because there's a common theme throughout all three and it's repeated I think at least in the ESV I've noticed ten times the same concept is repeated either the word rejoice joy or celebrated or celebrate that's the common word that's repeated so ultimately the parable is about somebody being coming back it's about the lost being found but ultimately the parable is about the response of the father, the response of the man who finds his lost sheep, the response of the woman who finds the lost coin. It's about joy and celebration and rejoicing. So that, it shows us something about the nature of God's kingdom, that God isn't just saying, hey, I'm inviting everybody to participate, but there's celebration, there's joy, there's rejoicing when one person who is a sinner comes back, right, that is restored. And ultimately, you guys, is Jesus is correcting a bad view that the religious people had. And it, he's saying, hey, there's actually an invitation to participate in the Father's joy. Jesus is saying, I find great joy. The, the heavens find great joy when these tax collectors and sinners are actually coming to me. And instead of grumbling and complaining like the older brother, you actually have this invitation to participate in the party and to rejoice and celebrate. Yeah, Jackson. 
Yeah, I like how you pointed out the communal aspect. Yeah, it's not individualistic, although in our Western world, that's our value. That's not the values of the ancient world necessarily. It's very communal. Um, let's move on to some of the last questions uh, for this evening. So in light of those, in light of the kingdom reality being the fact that there's an invitation for anybody to belong and to participate, everybody technically can be welcomed into God's kingdom. And then there's the, the main thing that's being communicated is there's actually rejoicing when that happens. That when you come back, you're not just a second tier citizen. You are restored back into the family of God. And so there's great rejoicing, there's great celebration. And there's an invitation for these religious leaders to participate and to adopt that. So what do you think should be the response of the audience? So we have the tax collectors and sinners, and then we have the Pharisees and the scribes. So how do those two groups respond to that and those realities that are being communicated? What does that do for them? What should change in their mindset? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like what you said there, you said a lot of really good stuff. So the beginning, what you said is that there's two different people groups or people that are represented, right? There's the sinners and the tax collectors, and how should they respond, right? You, you're, you have to imagine these people that have been not able to participate with the religious people and the things that they think God's kingdom is about. And here they, they're listening to Jesus, and they're learning about this kingdom, and now they're discovering, I have the opportunity to participate that Jesus is extending this invitation to me. And that's good news for that person, right? That's good news for the sinner and the tax collector, that all you have to do is come home. That's the invitation. Come home. There's a repentance, right? Repenting is literally just changing direction. So the younger son is going that way. He repents by coming back. So for the sinners and the tax collector, there's good news there because you can be restored back to the Father. So there's an invitation to participate and belong. And then for the, the religious leaders... It's a total reframing of their expectation of God's kingdom. And they need to see people the way that Jesus sees them, right? That's the whole point of the, the older brother. You don't understand the significance of the younger brother coming home. Like you're missing out. And so they need to adopt Jesus' perspective and not just adopt his perspective, but also join in the party, right? Like join in the celebration. The older son's not just supposed to be like, okay, God, dad, I kind of, I get like maybe why you're doing that, but I'm not, I'm not joining in. No. Join in the party. Rejoice. Gather, like you were saying, Jackson, like it's a community thing. Like understanding that should cause people to rejoice. Correct. If we don't know how they responded in this particular parable, for the most part, the Pharisees, at least that we encounter in the Gospels, didn't respond very positively. Some did, but most of them um, had a little bit of trouble understanding uh, these things. Um, so as we kind of come to a conclusion, um, 
Just for time's sake, I'm going to skip these last two questions that have to do with the readers of Luke. Maybe we'll get to that next week. Because um, I kind of want to move into just the application for us personally. Because I don't want it to leave just talking about Jesus and his audience. I want to talk about us. So we're going to move into chap uh, step number seven, which is always the goal of our study, right? Although we spend a lot of time learning about history and learning about parables and observing things and talking about interesting stuff in the text, we want to be transformed by the truth that we learn. And so we're going to take that same truth and we're going to talk about how we can actually apply that truth to our life today. So, of course, this is on your handout. And so for the first question, I want you to just think about for just a minute, and then you can write it down or not, it's okay. Uh, but I want to pose a question I think is important, is do I identify with any of Jesus' audience, and who specifically? Right, we have two main groups, there's the Pharisees and the scribes, those are the church people, and then we have the sinners and the tax collectors. Do you relate to either of those groups? Maybe you relate to both, but maybe you relate to one over the other. Because um, it's important, right? It's important to realize like where I'm actually currently at so then I can understand how this truth is supposed to transform me. So you, you, you probably can relate to one or the other. So which one do you? I'll be honest with you. I 100% of the time relate to the Pharisees and the scribes. Like as I was studying this, it's just like I can't get away from that. I mean, that's just like reading my mail. I don't relate. Part of it's because I grew up in church and I was saved at a young age and that's just been my whole upbringing. So I'm like a Pharisee. I'm just like a church person. So I don't have like this story of like living a life in sin and then being restored and redeemed and like having this amazing like backstory that I can appreciate where the sinners and the tax collectors are coming from. I, I much more relate to that older brother and his attitude. So that's just me personally. So just think about that, and then we'll move on to the next question. Do I identify with any of Jesus' audience here? And then maybe think about, like, why that's the case, right? So I want you to talk to, to your neighbor just for a brief minute about this question. Again, it should teach you something that we've already learned that it was communicating to Jesus' original audience. But your takeaway from this parable is what does this teach me about king, the God's kingdom? Again, it should be something along the lines of who belongs in God's kingdom and how you should participate and how you should respond to God's kingdom because that's kind of what we learn that this parable is about. It's about rejoicing. It's about understanding the significance of when a sinner comes home, that kind of thing. So just talk to the person next to you and just kind of talk about your take on that. Yeah, the second question, I'm sorry. If you want to talk about the first one, you can feel free. I know it's a little bit personal, but yes, go for it.
All right, as you guys are talking, I'm just gonna pose this question that you may have already talked about, but here's just one that I want you to think about. In light of discussing what it's teaching, think about specifically how, what is the Holy Spirit asking you to do about it? And this hopefully will be something that you carry with you for the rest of the week until we come back next week. But you need to pray and ask, ask the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to your life, to challenge you in your life and say, okay, if, if this parable is communicating the nature of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is a, is, a, a, is a kingdom that celebrates and welcomes the sinners, number one, is that how I view sinners? Um, do I believe that about God? Do I live that reality in my own life? And then what would it look like for me to adopt that view? If I truly was a, as, was a follower of Jesus who believed that with all my heart and who tried my very hardest to, to live in a, in a way that celebrated and, and was joyful when a sinner came to this church or when a sinner came to repentance. And I know, of course, nobody would say, well, I'm kind of bummed about that. But are you actually living a life of celebration and joy? Like that, we're talking about parties here. We're not talking about some sort of like standing ovation. We're not talking about that. That's so lame. We're talking about like this massive party that God is saying, this is how I view these people. Do I actually view people that way? And what would it look like? How would your life be different if you viewed people that are lost like God does? Do you value the lost people like God does? I know I definitely do not. I, I'll be honest with you, I do not. And so when, I, when I'm reading this parable, it's like, I know the parable of the prodigal son, whatever. But then I'm like, okay, now here's where we're at. I'm confronted with this truth. Now I need to think about if I really adopted this, how would my life change? So what I want to challenge you guys with is this week is to just sit on that truth. And it, whether it's just one time when you think about it on your way to work or on your way home or when you wake up, just ask the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, like, how can I live this truth out? And what would that actually look like? Think about this. One practical way. Okay, so sometimes it's like we're thinking, this is a belief system that I need to adopt, but how is this going to directly affect my behavior this week? And the more specific you can be, the more likely you will be to actually apply it. And so it's not enough for us to just hear good stuff, but we actually have to learn how to actually apply this uh, practically in our lives. And so this is where uh, the parable really becomes challenging. It's because it's easy to learn the truth, but it's a lot harder to actually live it out because you guys, I was so challenged this week because I'm like, I find myself being that bitter older brother that I think I deserve when the other person doesn't deserve. And that's kind of where I've, I've sat for just a long time and I don't quite know why, but that's just kind of my default. And so this, this parable teaches me that Jesus doesn't just, he's not just okay with people coming to know him, but he, he loves that. Like that's what he came to do. He came to, to leave the 99 behind, like you said, and to seek out that one. And at, does my life look like that or am I just hanging out with the 99? Am I just okay with the 99 and the religious stuff because that's what I think I need to do? Coming to church, coming to Bible study, going to home fellowship or Ohana groups or whatever you call it. Or am I actually like, no, I value that and I know it's important, but I want to be somebody that's like Jesus that goes after the one. And what would that actually look like in my life? I promise you, if you think about it, you have one. You have a one in your life. There's somebody in your life, whether it's here on island or maybe it's 
uh, if you came from uh, the mainland back home or wherever you come from, you have a one that's, that's lost. And what would it look like to really pursue that person this week? To go after that person and to love them and to desire to welcome them as Jesus does. does. And so, yeah, so for me just this week I was really struck by just what the father does in welcoming the son home. And I really, really, really uh, would love to have that same attitude. And it'd be so awesome. And how would my life look differently? What would my life look like if I actually pursued the one instead of sitting around with the 99? And I think you mentioned the song, I think I heard you talking about, like, we sing about that all the time, and it sounds awesome. Like, Jesus, you know, you left the 99 for the one, and I was that one, but now I'm just the 99. So let's get on mission, right? Let's, let's think about the kingdom of God and think about how we are to participate and to help be one of those vehicles that Jesus is going to use to bring the lost home to the Father, right? Because that's ultimately what Jesus desires. Um, and so we're going to end there uh, just because time-wise. Uh, thank you, everybody, for participating. Keep those sheets. Um, think about it. Dwell on it. Pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to really speak to you. We talked about a lot of really good stuff. We need the Holy Spirit to challenge us. And I think that it would just be, I, I just think it would be awesome, you know, for us as, as a community uh, of, I know most of us come to reality. We may not all find this our home church, but for us as Reality Honolulu, to be known as a church that is after the one. That we won't become a community that is so self-focused and self-centered, although it's good, right? It's good for us to come together and to, to make sure we're all good, but to be really known as, in this community, as, as a church that's like, that's out there, that's seeking the, the, the one. And I think, so far, I think we're doing a really good job of it. So um, I'm excited for what Jesus has in store for us. Um, so thank you all for coming and participating. Um, hopefully we can see you next week, and we're going to be doing another parable. I don't know which one yet, but it's going to be fun. Um, and uh, so I'm just going to close this in prayer. Yeah, Father, we just thank you for um, the gift of your word, Lord, and this just this amazing story, this amazing parable that communicates so much about your heart um, for the lost, Lord, and your desire to see people come to know you. Lord, and ultimately that's like why you came. You came to seek out the one, to leave the 99. And God, it's not just out of, of pity, but really it's, it's a matter of joy and celebration, God. And we, I just pray that people the way you do. God, that we would see sinners, we would see those that are not inside, uh, currently inside the community of God's people the way you do. God, and that when we encounter people that come to know you, God, that we would participate in the celebration. God, that we would make a big deal about when people come to know you and participate in your kingdom. God, help us to be people that model this uh, reality in our lives. God, would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? God, would you help us through the power of your spirit to actually live out this truth in our lives this week? We just praise you and thank you, God, for speaking to us, for moving, God, for allowing us to gather, for us to be able to uh, hear from you, hear from one another, to encourage one another, and to spur one another on uh, towards your kingdom uh, here in Honolulu as it is in heaven. So we just, yeah, pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.